0: Today, we're going to be reading Mark 14, verses 32 through 52. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. see, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the 12, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I kiss is the man, seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, they went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Let's pray together. Jesus, I believe that in this place, when we, when we worship, when we hear the proclamation of the gospel, when we have the opportunity to, opportunity to respond in faith, God, sometimes it's a struggle. And so, Lord, I pray for us in this place as we, as we do war. You said the, the, the spirit indeed is willing. The flesh is weak, Lord. As, as our spirit and our flesh war, God, we cast ourselves at your feet. We say not our will, but your will be done. Lord, what you desire to teach, would you teach us? Would you, What you desire to do, Lord, would you do? We say yes and amen to all that you have in store for us, God. Make us sensitive to your spirit to receive all that you have for your people today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you think about the greatest struggles that you have ever experienced in life, if you were to think about those times of of significant struggling and fighting, the, the wars that come your way, whether it's from the world, whether it's from people in your life that disagree with you or or seem like they're out to get you, if you think of sickness that you've endured, if you think of loss that you have endured, if you think of the greatest struggles, maybe the last two years, the greatest fights, the greatest difficulties that you have ever experienced in life, if you were to have known that they were coming ahead of time, how would you have prepared? what would you have done differently? Growing up, I absolutely loved the Rocky movies. I loved Rocky Balboa. I loved the stories. I loved that any time on a weekend afternoon when my dad was flipping through the channels, if any one of them was on, that was one of the movies that we were not allowed to not watch. We had to finish it. And sometimes that meant like Rocky marathons right? They were like all, all day, Saturday and Sunday, we'd be watching the Rocky movies. And there's something I love about the Rocky movies is that they have the greatest training montages. You know what I'm talking about with the, the scenes where just Rocky is preparing? Like Rocky knows that a fight is coming. He knows that a battle is coming. He knows he's going to have to fight, you know, Apollo Creed or Clubber Lane or, you know, whoever it is. And he's, he's going to have to fight him. And so he's got to get ready. And so he's mixing up the raw eggs, right? And he's punching sides of beef and he's doing one-handed push-ups and running up flights of stairs and shadow boxing at the top of the stairs. He knows that a fight is coming and he has to get ready. Imagine how different the Rocky movies would be if he learned he was getting a rematch against Apollo Creed. And so he eats a carton of ice cream, and takes a nap. It'd be a very different movie. (laughs) You know, it's not, Adrian, I did it. It's like, what happened? You didn't train. You weren't ready. You weren't prepared. It'd be a very different kind of story. See, prior to this passage in our text in Mark 14, Jesus warned his disciples, a fight is coming. A fight is coming. He says that one of you is going to betray me. Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the night is even done, and all of you will fall away. And so he takes them into a garden called Gethsemane, and he tells them to get ready. He says, watch and pray. We know this to be true in our own lives. We know that fights are coming. We know that struggles will come and go. Some feel like they sneak up on us. Some of you may feel like you're in the midst of of a battle that you did not expect right now, or maybe it's a battle that you did expect. Maybe it's a battle that you continue to face. Same thing comes and goes. And the invitation to us today is to be prepared, to be ready, to not be caught off guard when it comes, to watch and to pray. But this passage gives us more than just a game plan for when temptations come. This passage pulls back the curtain, and we get to see the truth about temptation. See, it's appropriate that our passage takes place in a garden. It's reminiscent of the first pages of the Bible, when the first humans walked with God in the Garden of Eden. Here, the disciples are walking with God, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, in a different garden. And so we're supposed to think about the temptations that took place in that first garden and the temptations that take place in this garden. And so it's at this point that all of humanity can find itself in this story. You're intended to see yourself and your temptations and your struggles in this story. Because the first truth about temptation that we learn is that temptation is a universal experience. Temptation is a universal experience. It's not just you. The enemy wants to corner you and tell you that nobody understands. Nobody knows what you're going through. Nobody knows what you've done. Nobody knows how hard this is for you. And you just need to keep it quiet because if you told people they wouldn't understand, and that is a lie. Everybody knows what you're going through. They might not know the specifics, but they've got their own temptation. They've got their own battle. They've got their own struggle. There is nothing that you encounter, no sin and temptation that is not common to humanity. The scriptures say it. It is true. The enemy wants you to be ashamed, wants to keep you in the dark. But the good news about the universal experience of temptation is that in this room, you've got brothers and sisters who know. They get it. They understand. They have been there, and they probably are there as well. Temptation is a universal experience. But even people who don't know God's law, even people who don't know God's high moral character, experience temptation. Because we are not only finding ourselves unable to keep God's incredibly high standards, but we struggle to keep our own standards. Isn't There's a, a story, a thought experiment that illustrates this. Imagine when you were born, an invisible tape recorder was hung around your neck. And every time you made a moral judgment, this person should do that. This person should not do this. This ought to have happened. This ought not to have been the case. Every time you make a moral judgment, that tape recorder records your own words. And what if when you died and you stood before God, it was not his law that was read, but it was your own? The play button was pressed and you heard your own words. You should have, you should not have, you ought to, you ought not to have, we would stand condemned by our own laws, our own standards. How much more so do we fall short of God's law? And oftentimes, the truth of salvation in Christ gives us comfort. It gives us freedom. That's a good thing. But sometimes we use grace to alleviate us from the, the need to resist temptation. Sometimes we use grace to alleviate the burden when it should actually intensify it. Partially because God's law is higher than our own, but most significantly because knowing Jesus' own struggle against sin and temptation, what what it took for Jesus to forgive us, what our sin required of Christ. It required his death. Because we know what our sin requires, it should cause us to resist. It should cause us to fight. It should cause us to wage war against the flesh, to wage war against temptation even more because he endured the penalty of it for our sake. And as Christians, our faith doesn't exempt us from the struggle with temptation. It should intensify it. Too many Christians, and I'm guilty of this, church. I am guilty of this as well. Too often, we comfort ourselves in the midst of temptation by telling ourselves this truth. God will forgive me. It's a truth. That is true. God will forgive me. But at the same time, it lies to the deep desire in our heart not to follow God. And we use it as an excuse to sin rather than the power it is to resist sin. It's true, but it's weak. Imagine a husband or a wife tempted to uh, have an affair, and the other one finds out about it and goes to them and says, why are you even considering this? And the response they hear is, because I know you love me and will forgive me. It would never happen. It's it's not God's love and God's grace that allows us to sin. It's God's love and his grace that is our power to resist sin because of what he has done to free us from it. God's love and his grace is power. It is not weakness. See, temptation is not just testing our desire to follow the rules, but temptation is a test of loyalty. Remember in Genesis 3, when the serpent questions the woman about the the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, she tells the serpent, if we eat of it, we will die. That's what God said. Those were God's words. If you eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you can eat any other fruit. You can have all of it. I made this garden of delights, this paradise, eat it all. But this one thing, if you eat it, you'll die. So she tells the serpent, if we eat this fruit, we will die. And the serpent whispers lies to her. He says, you will not surely die. You, you are not going to die. In fact, God knows that, that this is, 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 a, is, is a good thing for you, and he doesn't want you to have it. He knows it will make you like him, and he doesn't want you to be like him. He's, he's, he's fickle, and, and he, he's holding out on you. And so Adam and Eve are faced with a choice. Are they going to believe God or are they going to believe the serpent? Are they going to be loyal to God or are they going to leave God and follow the words of the serpent? See, temptation is not only some draw or some desire to do some bad thing. It's wrestling between who to believe, who to trust in, who to follow. And so at this point in the text, Jesus has warned his disciples that there's, going, there's, there's two ways to, to follow him as he goes to his death. He is going to die or to fall away, to, to run from him. And so upon hearing that warning, the disciples deny it. The last thing the disciples say before this text is, I will die with you. I would die for you. I will not betray you. And though there's no serpent in this story, there's no devilish figure in the story, you can almost hear the serpent whispering the same lies to the disciples, the same lies even to Jesus. You will not surely die. You don't have to do this. You don't have to die. Jesus would be tempted to save his life by abandoning the cross, and the disciples are tempted to save their lives by abandoning Jesus. You don't have to die. And so in our lives, we hear the same words. When we're wrestling with temptation, this desire for for something, the enemy comes and says, you don't need to die to yourself. You don't need to die to this desire. You, you, You do not surely need to die. Go ahead. God is holding out on you. God doesn't want you to have this. It's a good thing. You don't need to deprave yourself deprive yourself? So when we experience temptation, who is it that we'll believe? Who is it that we will be loyal to? Are we going to follow Jesus or will we follow the enemy who leads us into temptation? This doesn't mean that if you Uh, cave to temptation, that somehow you're not saved. Like you you don't have faith in Jesus. You're you're not loyal to Jesus. And so you're done. But it does mean that in that moment, you have put more faith in something else other than the one who has saved you. When I sin, any sin, not just idolatry, like I'm going to go worship, you know, like Zeus or something. I don't know. Uh, not just when we're tempted to like, ah, no, Jesus, I'm not going to follow you. But in those moments when we're like, no, God, I'm, I'm not going to do the thing that I know is good or I'm not going to abstain from the thing that I know is bad. I'm going to do this thing. It's a, it's, a, it's a testing of our loyalties. It's a testing of our faith. Sin is not just doing bad things. It's following something that is not God. And so we have a choice. Who are we going to believe? Who are we going to follow? And in those moments of weakness, we're in good company. It's in those moments of weakness, when we fail, that we can identify with all of God's people. We can relate to the tragedy of all of God's people. See, throughout the story of the Bible, this continues to be a theme. God gives his people everything. And his people fail to trust him. God has given us everything, and yet we fail to trust him. Look at Adam and Eve. We talked about this already. God gave them a paradise, everything they ever needed, and they wanted more. They took the one thing they were forbidden to eat. Or Abraham and Sarah, God promised them a child from their own bodies, but it wasn't coming fast enough. And so Abraham and Sarah took matters into their own hands, and Abraham had a child with uh, his wife's maidservant. And all kinds of problems have come from that. We look at the children of Israel who were delivered from slavery in Egypt through 10 miraculous plagues. They walked through the Red Sea. They get in the wilderness. God's giving them water from rocks and bread from heaven And they're mad that God won't give them meat. And so they actually want to go back into slavery. They're like, it was better for us in Egypt. And they they rebel against God in the wilderness. King David, God took him out of the sheep pastures and gave him the kingdom. And he took for himself another man's wife and had him murdered. Because apparently God hadn't given him enough. Then his son Solomon, God Gives him the kingdom and and wisdom and glory and wealth and long life. And he takes for himself more wives than there are people in this room. Not even including his concubines. And he goes and worships their gods. When God had given him everything, the disciples of Jesus had God himself in front of them. Had the words of eternal life. Jesus told them that he must die. One minute they pull out a sword and cut off a dude's ear, and the next minute they abandon him, literally run away naked with nothing. And so we see the story of God's people in our own lives. We know that there is going to be times, there's times in the past, and there's times ahead when we'll struggle to believe God, and instead we'll, we'll side with the world, or, or we'll side with the devil, or we'll decide uh, uh, with our own hearts, And so there's another tragedy of God's people, not just that we have everything from God and and don't trust him, but even when we know temptations come, we fail to prepare. We're not prepared for them. Even the greatest of the biblical heroes failed when temptations come. We, We know that they're coming. And so like the Rocky movies, we've got to prepare, we've got to get ready, but how? And Jesus tells us very simply, Watch and pray. To watch is to be alert. It's to be awake. It's to be on guard. It's to put up your dukes. It's to get in the fighting stance, ready to go. You know that temptations are coming. You know that struggles are coming. You know that difficulties are coming your way. Be prepared. Don't be caught sleeping. Be on guard. For many of us, we would do ourselves a great deal of good to be honest about our weaknesses. It's the it's the, the the things that we don't struggle with typically that aren't, you know, like deep-seated weaknesses that they come our way and we're like, that's not my issue. I don't struggle with that. I'm not, you know, I don't struggle with addiction or I don't struggle with this or whatever it is and we think that we're doing pretty well because of the things that we don't struggle with. But we would be very wise to invite people into our lives who can point out our blind spots. Right? It's the 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 career-ending injuries in football don't come from the hits they know are coming. It's coming from the blind spot. And so often we, you know, we we see ourselves, this is this just image in my life when I see myself like, I see like a victory over a particular temptation and like I start to celebrate and then I get clocked upside my head from something I didn't see coming because I've got blind spots. And we've got blind spots. And so we would be wise to to be aware of our blind spots. We'd be wise to to, to watch, to be on guard, to be prepared, to be aware of the things that influence us. And so for some, it may be as simple as maybe you need to cut out watching certain movies that, you know, lead you to violence or lust or greed or whatever it is. Just simply that's a blind spot. And so I'm going to Put those things aside. Or maybe you see how it's in times when you are given to alcohol that you're more likely to do the thing that you don't want to do. And so you need to cut drinking from your life. Or maybe it's boundaries that you need to set up in particular relationships. This is a thing for me, people. When I'm around my siblings, I love my family. I love my family. But as soon as I'm in the context of my family, my siblings, and my cousins, who I, I love dearly, I, I just, I find myself being 18-year-old Adam before salvation. And they have that influence on me. And so my wife knows and I know that when I'm going to be around family, I've got, like, I, I have to be on guard. I have to be aware of my temptation to, to be like them to do those things, or whatever it is, as much as I love them. Some of us need to be aware of how insecurity or feelings of being overwhelmed drive us to find comfort and security in other things. Watch. Be on guard. You are in a war. You are in a spiritual war. The moment you put your faith in Jesus... A target was put on your back. And the enemy wants nothing more than to take you out. Be on guard. Be watchful. Be ready. Know yourself. The spirit is willing indeed. But the flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. So be watchful, but also be prayerful. Jesus knows in this text that the greatest fight of his life is ahead of him. And so what does he do? He comes into the garden and he collapses to the ground. It says he falls on the ground and he cries out to God. He goes to the only one he knows can help him and can strengthen him for what is coming. He even asks God to take it away if it's possible. He says, if there's any other way. If there's any other way to accomplish salvation, if there's any other way to remove this cup from me, do it. But not my will. Your will be done. And he submits himself to God. See, many of us know the collapse and the cries. You know, very well, the collapse and the cries on the other side of temptation. When, when, when we've fallen, when we've failed, when we haven't been faithful, we know the collapse and the tears. Lord, forgive me again. Forgive me again. I did it again. We know that feeling of shame. We know that feeling of insecurity. We know that feeling of pain, that brokenness. Imagine how much more victory we would have over sin and temptation if the collapse and the cries came before the temptation did. If we consistently prayed for deliverance and not just forgiveness only if we went to war in life and in prayer, God, I know that temptations are coming this morning. I know that temptations are coming this week. I know that there's going to be opportunities to turn away from you. I know, deliver me. Deliver me from temptation. God, whatever this thing that you're calling me to that I'm afraid of, I know that I'm weak. I know I'm gonna get into that opportunity to do this good thing and I'm not gonna be able to do it. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Give me strength. Whatever cup you ask me to drink, give me the strength to drink it. Whatever good work you ask me to do, give me the spirit of God to do that thing. We would have so much more victory in life if we prayed on this side of temptation and not just for forgiveness on the other side. Especially with our relationships in the church. with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Like the disciples, we know that temptations come. And when they come, will we be prepared or will we be caught sleeping? See, so often in my Christian life, I've looked at this passage and I want so badly to identify with Jesus. I want so badly to go, that's me, God, your will, not my will. Yes, Lord, I want, to do, I want to do great things for you. I want to accomplish great things for you. I want to do these great things. But so often, and, and, and you, can, you can attest to this, we, we don't identify with Jesus. We identify with the disciples. They're so close to Jesus and they reflect the tragedy of the human experience when it comes to temptation. And the scriptures are true. There are none who are righteous. All have fallen short of the glory of God. But this is what you need to know today. Church, if you have trusted in Jesus, and if you are here and you've not put your faith in Jesus, this is the thing that you need to know. When you look at your life and you see that it is not, your life is not what you have desired it to be. Your life is not what you want it to be. Your actions have not aligned with the way you think you should have lived. Here is what you need to know. Though we all fall short, God does not. God does not fall short. In this scene, we do see the tragedy of God's people, but we see the victory of Jesus. We see the victory that Christ has accomplished. And we are not only supposed to look at that as an example. Yes, Christ is our example, but we look to that. We look to Christ's victory and we are invited to share in his victory, we are invited to share in his triumph over temptation. Jesus is the triumph that we have received. On the surface, it can look—you can you look at Jesus in Gethsemane, and and maybe it, maybe it's difficult to see how this is a victory. His agony is unbearable. The Gospel of Luke says that Jesus is under such stress and emotional turmoil that he is sweating drops of blood, which I'm told is an actual medical condition that I can't name right now, but it's an actual thing, that he's sweating drops of blood. His friends are not there for him. His friends abandon him. It would appear that God doesn't answer his prayers or at least doesn't answer them affirmatively, says no to what Jesus is asking for, he's betrayed and arrested, and he heads toward his death. We can look at this and go, how in the world is this victory for Jesus? We need to understand what's really going on here. See, you in your life, you might feel right now like you've been abandoned by people who know you and love you, who are supposed to care for you, who are supposed to do life with you, who are supposed to be along the ride for you. Maybe the agony in your life right now is feeling unbearable. Maybe you're feeling like God isn't hearing your prayers or God isn't answering your prayers. And you're afraid of what's coming in the future. You need to know that Christ leaves the Garden of Gethsemane victorious. And whatever you are facing, not only can you have victory, but you already have victory. Jesus is faithful, where all of humanity has failed, where everyone else has turned away from God to save themselves. Jesus has sacrificed himself to restore you to God. When sin and desire for things in this world are often an, an excuse to run away from God, The temptation in the garden drives Jesus into a deeper intimacy and honesty with God. He cries out, Abba, Father, this intimate term of endearment of a a child to their father. Papa, Daddy, if there's any other way, I'll do it. But not my will, your will be done. Make no mistake, Jesus did not look forward to the cross. He was not excited about it. But it was for the joy that was set before him, obedience to the Father, intimacy with his bride, the church, that he endured the cross. He despised the shame. He holds nothing back and gives himself completely to the work that God has for him. And as much as he desires to find another way, at the end of his prayer, not my will, but your will be done. He submits himself to the Father's will, no matter what it would cost him. This is, is Christ's victory. Faithfulness, where all else have failed. And so we are not saved by our own ability to be faithful to God. If you look at your life and you look at your track record and you look at the failure and you try to come up with proof that you are a believer, that you are saved, you're not going to find it in your actions you're going to find it in Christ's actions. You're going to find it in what Jesus has done for you. We are saved by Jesus Christ's own faithfulness. He is the sinless and the righteous one. He is the one who is perfectly faithful in the struggle against temptation, even to the point of death. And it's through faith in Jesus that we are united to him so that his Faithfulness becomes your own. It is through faith in Christ's faithfulness that you are regarded faithful. It is because of what Jesus has done for you. And so all you have to do is not, I need to defeat this sin. I need to get this out of my life. I need to clean up my life before I come to Jesus. All you need to do is receive the faithfulness of Christ that He has lived for your sake so that you could be regarded faithful. This is Christ's victory. And Christ's victory is not just for his behalf, but Christ's victory is our power. Christ's victory in the Garden of Gethsemane, Christ's victory on the cross, is your power to return to Christ if you have fallen short if you have failed, if you've sinned, if you've turned away from God, even lived a season of your life apart from Jesus, Christ's victory on the cross is your power to return to Christ, even when we've failed, when you've caved to temptation, Jesus was faithful on your behalf so that you can return to Christ no matter what you have done or what you have left undone. God never disregards you because of your sin, but always regards us as righteous because of Jesus' faithfulness. This is why Romans 5.1 can say, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus our Lord. This is what justification means. Though you are not righteous, you have been declared righteous because of what Jesus has done, And so if we are righteous in spite of our sin because of what Jesus has done, then even when we fail, even when we abandon him like these disciples did, we are always invited to return as these disciples did. One of the craziest things about this passage is these disciples, the same people who ran away naked, fled, abandoned Jesus, are the same disciples in the book of Acts who bring the gospel to the ends of the earth, who heal the sick and cast out demons and and suffered persecution and went to their own deaths boldly. And the only difference between the disciples in Gethsemane and the disciples in the book of Acts is that they have the Holy Spirit, which imparts Christ's victory to them if you are struggling with failure, maybe even walked away from Jesus for a time, if you believe Christ's victory is applied to you through faith, you can take comfort and return to him, not with shame, but with your head held high and joy in your heart, knowing that your father in heaven receives you. Some of the greatest leaders know that they were once the greatest sinners. And so I believe that there are people here who need to hear this. Do not give up. God can remake you. doesn't matter if your sin was before you put your faith in Christ or after you put your faith in Christ. Do not give up. God can remake you. He makes you a new creation by his spirit. Christ's victory is our power to return when we've failed, but Christ's victory is also our power to prepare We know that temptations are coming, so we should use that warning to drive us into deeper intimacy with God, to collapse at his feet. Abba, Father, deliver me, yet not my will, your will be done. It's important to recognize that Jesus doesn't come to God complaining. See, to complain is to uh, resist God's will for your life. Jesus comes lamenting, Lamenting is recognizing the struggle, recognizing the pain, but always submitting yourself to God's will. You are invited to lament, to come to God and tell him how you feel. One of the most powerful experiences can just be telling God how you feel, not asking him for anything, not praising him for anything, but just, hey God, this is how I feel. And this is really hard for me. And I want to know how to accomplish your will in this season. In my life. By the power of the Spirit of Christ who dwells in you, Christ's victory is your power to prepare for struggle. And Christ's victory is also our power to overcome. Romans 8 35 through 37 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us whatever happened this morning, whatever happened last week, whatever is going to happen in the future, you, because of Christ, because of his victory, are more than conquerors. You've been given victory over sin because of what Christ has accomplished for you. Therefore, you can walk in victory. It's yours. It belongs to you. He gave it to you. It's victory. Walk in In that victory. Walk in the power that you have received to overcome whatever it comes in your life and know that you have the Spirit of God within you to empower you. You've got the faith of Jesus Christ to justify you, and you've got a Father in heaven to receive you as a beloved son, as a beloved daughter. Some of us today are invited to turn to Jesus for the first time. Maybe you're here and you've never put your faith in Christ, Maybe you've been told that God is a, is a, has got a list of rules and until you can keep them, you've got no business showing your face in church. I just want to tell you that's a lie. It's a lie. Maybe some of you are here feeling disqualified from God, disqualified from a life of faith because of your struggles. I just want to tell you, you don't have to clean up your life. You've got to receive what Jesus has done for you. And then he partners with you in delivering you from sin and delivering you from temptation. And some of us in this room, we need to return to Jesus. Whether we spent time walking away from him or we just disregarded the things that he wanted for us in this last week or are tempted to disregard the things that he wants for us in this week. You can receive the victory of Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit to walk in that victory. All of us today have an opportunity to receive what Jesus has done, to claim that victory and to walk in it. Let's pray together. God, I know right now, as we talk about, the war between the flesh and the spirit. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. God, maybe there's things in our lives, maybe there's something going on in, in the mind of, of one of your people here, Lord, that um, they're wrestling. They know that there's a thing in their life that you don't want for them, but they're, they don't know if they can let it go. pray that you would not let them leave this place without making the decision. Maybe they don't know how, but making the decision, not my will, but your will. And God, I pray that you would help us all to receive your victory, to receive what you have accomplished in our salvation, and to walk in it, celebrating Jesus, you walked out of that garden under guard. And yet you were king, presiding over it all. And you were triumphant. And so, Lord, whatever this life brings, whatever uh, your will for us is, whatever you're calling us to, it might feel restricting, it might feel dangerous. But if we're following Jesus, we can, we can walk triumphantly. The victory that you've given us, Lord. God, I pray that you would fill this place with your comfort. I pray that you'd fill this place with your presence. I pray that you'd fill this place with your power. Holy Spirit, fall on this place.